Thank the, thank the Lord that we have Jesus as our sure and steady hope. Amen. If you'll remain standing for the reading of God's Word, uh, Amber's going to read the text for us. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes 5, starting in verse 8 uh, through the end of chapter 6. So it's a little bit of a longer passage, but um, I want you to be mindful of uh, what this passage is about, and that is uh, the, the, the fleeting nature, the vanity of wealth and honor. And so we stand in honor of God's word just as, as we hear God speak to us. We want to we take that. We want to receive it. We want to have a posture in which we're open to that. So hear this with um, open hearts, open minds. Uh, and then Amber is going to pray for us uh, as Justin instructs us into the sermon. If you see a province, if you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is a gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them, and what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. 
whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity, and what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Um, It is effective and efficient to do its purposes that you have purposed for it. And so I'm praying, Father, that you would open our ears and our hearts, um, that what you speak, um, your spirit would tend and cultivate, and that we would reap a harvest of righteousness through the reading of it, through the hearing of it, through the proclamation of it, that salvation would go forth and that um, you would be given all praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated and our kids can be dismissed uh, to their classes. And uh, my name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. It's a joy this morning to receive instruction from God's Word. And as we just prayed... We are asking the Holy Spirit to teach us from this text and to change the way that we live. And uh, as we read a a very lengthy passage this morning, uh, I'm hoping that we can kind of summarize and bring this to uh, some sense of of coherence and and be able to really apply it this morning. I believe this text is going to be challenging for many of us. Um, not because we would say uh, we struggle with the, the vanity of wealth or the pursuit of wealth, uh, but our very culture that surrounds us is out to frustrate us with this text and to be obedient with this text. And so our hope, our prayer this morning is to get us back to a place, and I love that we started off that we, we sang, I, I stand amazed in the presence That's where we want to get with this text, that we allow this text to bring us back to a place of going, I can give all of my life and pursue and run after these things and totally miss out on the amazing beauty and presence of God. And so I hope that this morning that we will see in this text uh, what I originally entitled the meaninglessness of wealth, which maybe would be a negative way of, of seeing this passage in like, it's, it's very present, but maybe in a more positive way that we would rest and enjoy God in His gifts and that we would stand amazed in His presence and that we would pursue Him. And so this is kind of the, the twofold, uh, the two pathways that this text kind of unfolds for us. One being the pursuit of wealth and one being the pursuit of God and contentment in God And ultimately, we're left with the question this morning, which path are you going to pursue? Now, what I want to kind of begin and starting off, I I just began uh, reading a book a few weeks ago, and basically, it was a book on the family and what's gone wrong in the family, okay? And what's interesting is it, it talks a lot about this idea of how materialism and consumption and discontentment is actually ruining, ruining that's the Texas version, uh, our, our family. 
And in the sense of that it's, it's built within the fabric of the American life that is, that is destroying the, the contentment, the, the enjoyment of our family life. What's interesting is in the early 1900s, you could buy an eight-bedroom house, or a, sorry, an eight-room house from Sears. Many of us are like, what is Sears? For $975. Now, if you've been trying to buy a house in Salt Lake City or anywhere in the valley, you're like, that's awesome. Like, you can't get anything for, you know, half a million dollars. It's crazy. But you could get an eight-room house for $975. Now, before this, previous to this, multi-generational family living was the norm. And Sears was kind of the one that said, hey, we can build single-family homes. And for $975, a train will roll in. It would have a seal on the door. You would open it up, and you would take all the lumber. And within 90 days, you would have your own home. And guess what? Sears realized that if you built your own home, that you would need to have stuff to put in that home, right? And so who best to help stock that home than Sears? And so Sears had this plan that they were going to build and craft a way to help produce and create a need for more of their goods. This hasn't changed. In around 1925, when they they started manufacturing, uh, like mass-producing light bulbs, the average use of a light bulb would go about 24,000 hours. And they said, you know what, that's not very good for business. And so they kind of put a limit on that, and they said, let's make sure and limit light bulbs that they break at 1,000 hours. And you were actually fined. Like they had a union group, and if if the light bulb in your factory went longer than 1,000 hours, you were fined. It was meant to break so that you would have to go and purchase another one. And I don't know about you, but there seems to be like something Every time a new iPhone comes out, right, the, the old one just gets slower. What's going on? It's like the same pattern. We have, have been uh, positioned, we, ha- we are being trained to become dissatisfied with certain items in our life. In fact, when the first original cars were built, they were all black, But they realized, you know what, if we could just tinker just a little bit, something, add one new feature to the car this next year, then you would say, you know what, my car's not as good as that one, so I need to go and get this one. And this is the pattern of life that we live in. And you may be like, well, surely, like, this is what they're experiencing all over the world. I want you to hear me say, America's the worst, okay? They just did a recent study, the best places to raise a family in 2020, Here's the deal. They took 35 most leading countries. Guess what? We are number 34. Number 34. We received an F rating. The things that we were the top at is the amount of hours that we consume working and the amount of, of, of uh, income that we put towards putting uh, our family in child care or educating family or, or, or basically... It was like 23% of the average American income goes towards daycare. And it's going to see, like, what, what is wrong with, with this idea of, of our culture and this idea of, of going, we just got to pursue more and more and more and more. And there was a book called The Overspent American, Why We Want What We Don't Need. 
And it was this idea in the 1970s, like incomes began to rise in the 1970s. And as we began to see incomes rise, 1970 was the date where people uh, believed or, or kind of prophesied that that was going to be the year where we are, are working, you know, uh, four-day work weeks and we're going to have lives of leisure. And that was the year that we saw a massive increase in income, and as we began to feed that appetite, and as we began to take in more income, guess what? We were like, we need more stuff, and we just began this cycle, and it's like, how in the world do we get out of this? How do we get out of this cycle? And I, and I say all of that because I believe this idea of work, this idea of toil, this idea of consumption, this idea of materialism is seen in our text today. And I just wanted you to have something that you are all sitting here and you're kind of like shaking your head. You're going, yeah, I've experienced that. I, I'm, what's, I've, I've noticed that something's kind of up, you know, like things... You know, I, I just, I, there is a dissatisfaction in my life. I, there is a hunger for always wanting more. And, and ultimately, this is, this is going to be a picture. This is what Solomon is presenting. And I just want to kind of help us lean in and go, Solomon is one of the wisest people who ever lived. He had more money than we can imagine. And yet, he's going to give us some instructions on, on how to pursue life under the sun I'm going, we should listen up. We should kind of lean in. We should wonder, why is it that, that, that we are still pursuing materialism and consumption and all these things when in reality it's destroying our lives? And I don't think we, we see that. Because most of the things that we, we, we see in life, if we go, it's destroying our life, it's destroying our relationships, it's destroying our love for God, We'd be like, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And what he says right here is, wealth does those very things. The pursuit of wealth, let me be clear. The Bible's not opposed to wealth. The Bible is not, not opposed to hard work. We even see in our text this morning, the laborer sleeps well. And so this isn't the, the, a sense of going like, hey, don't work hard, don't pursue things in your life. That's not the text. It's the pursuit of wealth. It is that hunger for something that actually can never be satisfied. The Bible actually says in Proverbs 10.4, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Solomon, who's writing to us here, says this. So he's not opposed to wealth. He's, a, he's opposed to the extremes of this. Proverbs 21.20, there is a precious treasure in oil in the dwelling of the wise. What's he saying? Like, in, in a sense, there's a savings. And, and so it's not, not opposed to saving, but he's opposed, like what we're going to see later in the text, he's opposed to hoarding. There's a difference between saving and hoarding. And, and he says, but a foolish man swalloweth up. So it's like a foolish man just takes it all in and, and just eats it all up. And so this idea is, is, is not to move us towards a poverty mindset, although he's going to say in the text that the poor are actually better off than the rich, but to move us to a place of going, it's foolish when our hope, when our security, when our rest, when our treasure is found in our wealth. 
That is why we read in the Gospels that it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Because it's difficult to experience and receive wealth and not trust in it. It's hard. It's very, very difficult. And so what I want us to see in this text, and here's the way I've organized it for us this morning, is... Uh, He says over and over and over again, there is evil, there is an evil, there is an evil. And then he says, I've seen it to be good, I've seen it to be good. So these are the reflections. So what I want to do is kind of focus and go, what does the pursuit of wealth lead to? And I'll walk through the text. And then go, what does pursuit of God and contentment and enjoyment in his gifts lead to? And we'll walk through the text, okay? And so I'll organize that because the way the, the, the text is written, it's written in this pyramid way in which he builds to a conclusion and then he builds down from it. And it's very hard for us in kind of the modern day to be able to uh, discern in, in, in what he's kind of unfolding here. So I'll break it down like this. What does the pursuit of wealth lead to? And I hope that you see like these seven or eight things that I'm going to list of going like, that's... None of us are going for this, but all of us, I can say, there's some sense in us that we're driven by this pursuit of more. I'm not content. I want more. This is what it leads to. First thing, verse 8 and 9, it's oppression. It leads to oppression. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but we read about it here in the text in verse 8 and 9. It says, if you see in a province the oppression of the poor and violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed. Now, that seems kind of strange that Solomon would tell us this idea of not being amazed. It's not saying that, that he's not in opposition towards it. He's just saying that your very pursuit of wealth is what caused this. That the very sense, like there is a causation of going, when you pursue wealth, when you're out to get yours, this is what it leads to. So don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when there's oppression of the poor and violation of justice. Do not be amazed at the, the matter. Why? Because there's a high official. And guess what? That high official is watched by a higher. And that high official has someone over him. But this is gain in the land in every way. A king committed to cultivate fields. Here's what it's saying. Everybody has a boss. Everybody has a boss. And if, if you're living for yourself, if you're out to get yours, if you're going, hey, it's just about the bottom line, you know, when you go to your job, you'll do dirty things because it's just like you have a hire. You have someone that you're reporting to. You have someone that you're looking to. And it's like, I just got to get in line. And he's going, this is the way our culture works in so many ways and that, that we're just going, I'm just going to do what I'm told because I, I just want to get that paycheck at the end of the month and I'm going to do what I'm told and that person is doing what they're told and that person is doing what they're told and who wins in all of this? It says, the king. The only person who wins in this type of environment is the person on the very top. And so it leads to this, this sense of oppression and the king stands at the pinnacle he is the only one who benefits yes if we're cultivating a field then those crops and those food obviously go to feed numerous people in a community but who profits who gains and he says there's only one person who gains in this idea of like if we're just all out for wealth one person that gains 
the, the, the person at the top. In James chapter 5, 1 through 6, this won't be on the screen, so you can write it down. I am going to uh, reference a few other passages throughout our text, but it says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidenced against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in these last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. Here's that oppression. So we see the New Testament's teaching this as well. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the days of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. It's this idea. This pursuit of wealth oppresses people. Second thing, it leads to insatiable desires. In verse 10, it says right here, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. You can never get enough. I mean, imagine you've been hungry before, right? And just imagine eating and and just never being satisfied. It would be miserable. And, And we don't always see like the misery that we experience in this pursuit and love of money that we're pursuing and we're reaching out for something that can never truly be grasped. And so we're reaching and we're reaching and reaching and it leads to this insatiable hunger. In chapter 6, verse 7, it tells us the same thing. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite will not be satisfied. And so it leads to insatiable desires. Oppression, insatiable desires. Third thing, it leads to frustration. In verse 11, it says, when goods increase... They increase who eat them. I think the NIV says uh, it, it increases those who consume them. Here's how I would describe this to you, okay? When we first moved here, we lived in a 1,400-square-foot home just south of Liberty Park. It was awesome. We loved that home. We took in my parents. We needed to care for my parents, and it wasn't going to work in a 1,400-square-foot home. And so we moved out. And we moved out to the suburbs. And you get more for your money in the suburbs. And so we took on a 3,800-square-foot house. And guess what? Over the past four years since we've lived there, there are more things to consume my money. What do I mean by that? There's more things to consume my time. I spend more time mowing a half-acre lot. You know, I could basically cut my lawn in downtown with scissors. It, It was so quick. Energy bill. You know, utilities, all the things. So I've told Amber several times, I'm like, hey, remember when we, like, we first moved here? We lived in a townhome. That was awesome. There was some simplicity to life in that, in that time of going like, we didn't have to care for anything. You know, we didn't have to mow the grass. We didn't have to like fix sprinklers. We didn't have to. And it's going, as your goods increase, as your money increases, there are more things to consume that money. We always think we're going to get ahead. We always think like, oh, I'm, I'm moving and, and, you know, like things are going to be in the positive and we're going to, and as you take on more, there are more things to consume them. You're like, well, I'm going to take on this. Well, now I got to pay insurance for that and all these things. And it just, it continues to build. Now, those things obviously can be gifts. I, I thought about our home and like, if you're not really a part of Ecclesia, if you haven't lived in our home, all right? What I mean by that is like there's probably eight or nine families who have lived with us at one point or another. And so 
obviously, gifts can be stewarded in a way that are used useful to multiple people and to love a community. But when we have goods for the sake of having goods, there are more mouths to consume. So uh, think about, you know, dominion energy. You're feeding those people, all right? Rocky Mountain Power, you're feeding those people. There you go. It leads to frustration, right? Fourth thing, it leads to sleepless nights. Verse 12, sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich would not let him sleep. You're going, you would think that more money in your bank account, you would sleep easy, okay? Anyone who has more money in their bank account is so worried about trying to keep the money in their bank account that it leads to sleepless nights, I would say on the other end, just to give some perspective, those who are going, how am I going to make it tomorrow? There's, there's still probably a sense of going, it leads to sleepless nights too. Again, it's not talking about the extremes here. How do we find that, that middle ground? Leads to sleepless nights. It leads to hoarding. Verse 13, okay? Verse 13, it says, there is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And so it's like you spend your life trying to keep it. And he calls this a grievous ill, a sickening evil. This idea of hoarding to their own harm. I want you to think about yourself as you're you're God's investor. He has entrusted resources to you. You are a steward of those resources. We read in, in the New Testament gospel accounts a story of, of a, a few different people given certain talents and, and how they invested it and how they steward those talents. And the only one who was ridiculed was the one who took what he was given and, and didn't see that multiplied. He hid it. He, he received it and, and didn't do anything with it. And it's a sense of going, what does it look like for us to be given resources, not to hoard and not to keep for ourselves, and it actually leads to our own hurt, but how do we take resources in for the, the betterment of, of people around us and, and for the community that we're around, and how do we steward? And we've always thought about that question, uh, not only personally, but for us as a church, if, if I was God, would I entrust myself with more money? Thinking of how I've invested it, you think about it like financial investor, if I'm a financial investor in the kingdom of God, which I am, do, have I made wise return on what the Lord's entrusted me with? Should he entrust more resources to me or should he find a different investor? I think about us as a church, how do we invest the resources? We're not meant to hoard these resources because it leads to our own hurt. We want to be worthy investors. I believe we all want to be worthy investors. We want to steward the resources. And I think if you were to look at the hearts of many of us across this room, I would say the majority of us probably want to do, like we want to be able to give more. I, I've, I've rarely met a person who said like, I, I don't want to do anyone, anything for anyone. Like I want to be generous with my resources. I think that's most people. But we don't see how our actions or the things that, that we do actually keep us from being generous. Okay? So it leads to, to hoarding. It, it also leads to fear. In verse 14, it says, 
those riches were lost in a bad venture. It's this idea of going, how do we keep it? How do we keep it? Uh, Tim Keller wrote a book, uh, I think it's called, called Counterfeit Christianity, Counterfeit, something like that. It was on idolatry. And he writes in there, like when we saw the, what was it 2007, 2008, like the major crash and the amount of suicides that happened in that time on Wall Street. Because they lost it. And all of their hope and all of their trust and all of their security was found in that. And so because of that, when that's taken, it's devastating. When, when you lose it all in a bad venture, it's, it's devastating. And so you're constantly living in this sense of going, how do I keep it? In verse 17, it says, it leads to sickness and anger. Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. This idea of, of darkness is the next one. It leads to loneliness. If you read down into the next little parable that he, that he gives here in chapter 6, verse 3, it says, if a man fathers a hundred children, it's like he's got all these people around him. And he lives many years so that the days of his years are many but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things. This is someone who doesn't find contentment, doesn't have a way of enjoying the things that the Lord has given. It says he also has no burial. And what that means is he has no proper burial. There's no one there. He's alone. I can tell you some of the wealthiest people in the world are some of the loneliest people in the world. It's fascinating. And I, and I say all of this, and, and we look back and we go, you know, it's, it's oppression, it's sleepless nights, insatiable desires, it's frustration, it's hoarding, it's fear, it leads to sickness and anger, it leads to loneliness. And we're like, yeah, but I'm pursuing it. I'm running after it. That's what I want. That's what's going to make me happy. And Solomon is telling us, and he's instructing us, it won't. And it's leading to destruction, it's leading, it's destroying your soul, it's destroying your love for others, you're, you're oppressing people, it's destroying your love for yourself, it's destroying your love for your family, and it's destroying your love for God. But then he contrasts that with what does pursuit of God lead to? What does finding contentment lead to? And it leads to rest and sleep. It said in verse, verse 12, he's contrasting this, sweet is the sleep of a laborer. Like we have, we have grown so consumed, myself included, with like so many different devices that tell us how we sleep, right? And, and I go, well, why is that? It's because none of us are sleeping. There's something that's keeping us restless. There's something that's keeping us our, our thoughts going, and, and we just can't rest. And I, and I want to think about this, this idea of going, not just in the sense of, of like actually closing your eyes and going to sleep, but I'm talking about soul rest. That we actually just can take a deep breath and be like, I have everything I need in God the Father. God the Father satisfies every desire. That there is a deep rest and sleep that comes from pursuing and hungering after Him. The second thing it, it leads to is enjoyment of life 
and enjoyment of God's gifts. What if I told you it's a sin to not enjoy life? I, you know, we wrestle with that. I, I think, you know, I, I heard that this week. I was, uh, I was on a call, uh, a Zoom call with a, a husband and wife couple, and they talk about, like, uh, how they shepherded their family through turbulent times. And he talked about enjoying. He said, we have so much to enjoy in life. And it's sinful to not enjoy. God gives the ability to enjoy. In verse 18, it says, what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. It's, it's going, we see God as ultimate. We see God as the, the, the highest pursuit. And what that does is that al- allows us to hold all of these gifts with proper expectation. Meaning, I, I don't look to these things to, to do what only God can do. And when I'm not looking to these things to do what only God can do, I actually get to enjoy them. Imagine if you were told, and we're all told, right? Like, you get the new iPhone, it's going to change your life, right? And I don't, has it changed anyone's life yet? I don't think so. But, and if we hold that expectation, we're going to be let down. Now, this should be a gift to be enjoyed, right? We can communicate with people. We can, we can say like, how's your day? Hope you're doing well. I'm praying for you. You can, there's so much great stuff that can come from this. And we got to hold it in proper expectation. When I hold it in pro- proper expectation, I'm not looking to this phone to be like, I thought you were supposed to change my life. And it, what a letdown. And I, you don't enjoy it. And I say something as simple as a phone, but I'm going, we look to so many things and we hold them. They're, you know, they, they hold this, this great grand sense of going, this is what they're going to accomplish for you, and they, they never do. And they always disappoint. They're always going to disappoint because only the Father can satisfy. Only the Father can give you what you truly need. Only the Father can provide. And so our circumstances may be terrible, but there's a reason to be joyful. God gives us the ability to enjoy. The third thing is, not only does he give us joy, but he occupies our days with joy. I love this. If I want to be occupied with something, joy sounds like a great thing to be occupied. Anybody with me? All right, I want my days occupied with joy. It says in verse 20, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. That's satisfaction. That's something, you know, I, I, I desire. That's something I want to hunger after. That's something that I want to pursue. Lastly, he gives contentment. In verse 19, it says, everyone 
also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot. To accept your lot means you're not going, I need more, I need more, I need more. God gives the ability to accept your lot, to go, I have enough. I'm full. I'm satisfied. It's this idea of contentment. It compares this in chapter 6, verse 9. It talks about the poor man, and it talks about the sight of eyes. The sight of eyes is better than the wandering of appetite. The wandering of appetite is, is going, there must be something else out there that's going to satisfy me. I'm constantly wandering. I'm constantly looking. Rather than seeing the very things that are before my eyes, is going, this is good. I'm content. I'm content. Proverbs 30 Verse 8, it says, Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. I love this. Because it draws that line in, in, in kind of the middle. It's like, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Okay, the NIV says, but give me only my daily bread. Keep falsehood and lies from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Is that our prayer? I want that to be my prayer. I, I want to know, I, I want a pursuit that is satisfied in going, God, I, just give me my daily bread. Lord, just provide what I need for today. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It says that ultimately the, the antidote for keeping our life free from the love of money is this idea of trusting in God more. Seeing him as the provider. You'll never leave. You'll never forsake. That's where provision is found. Trusting in that. Finding enjoyment in what the Lord has given. The last part of this text. So we, we have come through this idea of going, here's what it leads to. The pursuit of wealth, oppression, sleepless nights, frustration, anger, fear. I don't think there's anybody going, yeah, I want that. Versus... This idea of rest and sleep, enjoyment of life and God's good gifts, occupied with joy, contentment. The last part that he gets to here in um, chapter 6, 10 through 12, basically is, is going, there really is, you can't debate this with me. That's what he's saying. Ultimately, just going, like, you get to choose your course, but there's, there's not a middle ground. You, you choose whether or not you're going to pursue this sense of wealth and honor or you're going to pursue contentment found in God. And, and there's no debate. What he says in this is, whatever has come to be has already been named. And it's known what man is and that he's not able to dispute, dispute with the one stronger than he. You can't debate it. All right. The more words, the more vanity. You can bring all your words. It's not going to change. This is how he has created the fabric of the world to work, to find enjoyment and in pursuit of him. You will not find it anywhere else. And this is what Solomon 
is telling us, for who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? And it's like this rhetorical question, and I'm like, well, God can. God can tell you, so pursue him. Pursue him. And so, in way of kind of closing this morning, I, I, I want to help us. Because, again, I, I think we're, our eyes hopefully have been opened to this sense of, like, this is where pursuit of wealth leads us. I, I want to pursue contentment, satisfaction, joy in the Lord. But what things are standing in the way of that? And we don't live in a, in a day and age where we have golden statues or golden images that we're bowing down to worship. Our, our things are, are much simpler than that in, in what we are looking to worship and give our life to. And so our, maybe just in, in closing, I want to unmask the areas of life that we might be pursuing out of love for yourself, out of love for your neighbor, and out of love for God, we want these idols to be unmasked. So, here's a few questions, and you can follow along. What are you looking to for satisfaction and enjoyment in life? What are you trusting in for security? What are you looking for significance and acceptance? What do you fear losing? What are you telling yourself you have to have to be happy? Where do you go for comfort? What do you look to to provide a sense of control over your life? What makes life worth living? And I think what happens is these questions will will help unmask those areas of going, you know, I may not be pursuing at the end of the day a dollar bill in my bank account. But it may reveal some other areas of life that you're looking to, that you're pursuing, that you're seeking after to find security. And ultimately, all of those things, if, if it's not God the Father, it leads to oppression and fear and sleepless nights. It leads to all of this. And so out of love for you, we want these, mydal, these idols unmasked. And, and here's what I would say this morning, that if you're sitting here and you go, you know what, I've built my life on things. I've, I've looked to, to these things to provide this sense of security. And I think it's easy for us to feel like the man who lost his, his goods in a bad venture because this morning you realize, and in the same way that that man discovered, you know what, I don't have that no longer in my hand, that we look at these and we go, the things I've been trusting in are false, they're lying, that I can constantly put infinite claims on finite resources and it only ends in destruction. And if you're here that this morning and that's true, then you're realizing, what do I have? And here's what I would tell you. In Psalm 16, the psalmist says, at his right hand, in God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. God unmasks those areas in our life not to leave us empty-handed, but to pursue us and to push us 
to find Him as our greatest treasure. And so as we said, we started with this idea of standing amazed at the presence of God. It moves us back to this place of going, He's he's showing us the foolishness of pursuing all these things in life only to leave us empty so that we would run and pursue Him with all of our hearts. That's where He leaves us. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8 through 10, I'll invite the worship team to come back up. It says, But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich and fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. You hear this? For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving. It's through this very craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Can, can you hear this morning that our greatest hope is that you wouldn't be pulled away? That there wouldn't be something buying for your attention, buying for your desires, buying for your satisfaction that you would run after and pursue because you would see there's no match for God the Father. That he is worthy pursuit. In Deuteronomy, we see that this idea here that there, there's a sense in which that as they, they were given poverty and as they were given provision that they would forget the Lord. It says, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, and fountains, and springs, flowing out into the valleys and hills, all these things that the Lord's providing. A land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates. A land of olive trees and honey. A land in which you'll eat bread without scarcity and which you will lack nothing. This is what he wants to invite us into. A land whose stones are iron, out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full. But what's the warning? He says, take care lest you forget the Lord. Take care. When you've eaten and you're full and you've built houses and you've lived in them and when your herds and flocks multiply and silver and gold is multiplied and all you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and what could happen? And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought the water out of a rock who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble your heart. He may humble you and test you to do good. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and my might and my hands have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to the fathers." And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. What God is telling us here is don't forget Him. Don't forget what we're running after. Don't forget what we're pursuing. Don't forget what we're truly hungering for. Don't forget what truly satisfies. Don't forget what can truly satisfy that longing of your heart. 
We are foolish. We're all foolish in the times where we go, I just need this. This will make me happy. This will satisfy my desires. This will help me sleep at night. And it's just a reminder. It's so backwards. It's so countercultural that God is just saying, hey, I've shown you time and time and time again that only I can satisfy. And he does that out of loving kindness for us. He does that out of a loving pursuit for you because he wants you to find him. He wants you to hunger after him. He wants you to thirst after him. And so if I were to tell you what's the takeaway in this text, here it is. Pursue God Enjoy his gifts and spend your days in rest and occupy with joy. Pursue God, enjoy his gifts, and spend your days in rest and occupied with joy. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this text. Thank you for this reminder. Thank you for this reminder for me. There are so many areas where we run to and we don't see the destruction. We don't see the pain that it's causing. We don't see how it's destroying our very souls. Lord, we want to have a hunger for you. We want to thirst for you. Help us to know, God, that at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We want to know that. Lord, we want to believe that. And so I pray this morning as we sing the next few songs that we would experience, that we would stand amazed in your presence, that we would see that even as we we sing these songs, Lord, that you give us deep breath in our lungs, that you give us rest, that you provide our daily bread. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to see you as the ultimate treasure. We pray in the name of Jesus, amen.